In the early months of the pandemic in 2020, depression in adults tripled. According to the Boston University School of Public Health, that continued into 2021, and they reported in October of last year that the rate of depression was affecting one in every three American adults. The topic of mental health is beginning to consume the mainline church in America. It absolutely is. And I've come to learn that for some, this is an area that is off limits to the Word of God. In other words, when it comes to this particular topic or this discussion, the Word of God has no authority whatsoever. It is not the final authority. It does not have the final say when it comes to the issue of mental health. Some in the church are struggling emotionally and mentally, struggling mightily. And they've come to the place where they view this issue of depression and emotional distress as the beast that cannot be overcome. Can't. So a great deal of their life is focused on coping every day as best as they can. Whether it's the pandemic or life in general, we all have to understand this. Life will give you more than a few reasons to be depressed. I mean, just live long enough. Life will give you a lot of reasons to be down and discouraged and to wallow and all of that. Life will just keep giving you that. It just will. But none of that would have been foreign <laughs> to the Christians that Peter was writing to in the Roman Empire at that time. In terms of what they were dealing with, in terms of what life had thrown at them. Consider this description regarding the persecutions that were happening to Christians under the wicked Roman emperor Nero. I'm going to read it to you. Nero even refined upon cruelty and contrived all manner of punishments for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular, he had some sewed up in skins of wild beasts and then worried by dogs until they expired. And others dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, fixed to axle trees, and set on fire in his gardens in order to illuminate them. Not fiction. No embellishment. Now, those who have something in their life that they perceive to be off limits to the Word of God. So in other words, the Word of God is not the final authority here. I need to hear this truth. But then when they hear it, what they will do is they will subtly make light of it. So you hear about the atrocities and the persecutions and the horrors that were being unleashed against God's people but those who have come to the place when it comes to this issue of mental health that says, well, basically, I hear what the Bible has to say about everything else except that. 
will hear this story that I just read to you and say, well, it's just not that big of a deal. Listen, many people suffering with debilitating emotional and mental illnesses, listen, are bent on being the exception. They're bent on being the exception. Yeah, I'm sure it was rough for those people back then that Peter was writing to. Yeah, it doesn't sound real fun to get sewed up in animal skins and to be set on fire alive. Yeah, I'm sure it was really tough for husbands to watch their wives and children slaughtered like that, to watch mothers watch their, for mothers to have to watch their kids slaughtered like that. I'm sure that was tough, but, uh, but what I'm dealing with, it's exceptionally challenging. I mean, what, yeah, that, that's rough, but, but, but what I'm doing, oh, that's so much more rough. Stay with me, because this is going to be our gargantuan truth. People who are bent on being the exception, listen to me, cannot be helped. They cannot be helped. So regardless of what the Bible says, they will be depressed, they will be bitter, they will be angry, they will be given to anxiety. You can give me verse on top of verse, on top of verse, on top of verse, on top of verse, on top of verse. But when the dust clears, I will be bitter, I will be depressed, I will be angry, and I will be anxious. I am 100% for biblical counseling. When the counselee receives the Word of God as the Word of God, it will cure them. (laughs) It will heal them. It will deliver them. Listen, I understand that psychotherapy has a place. I get that. But I beg you to hear me. Psychotherapy can treat the mind, but it can't cure the heart. Only this does. Only this does. But having counseled for a number of years now, I can say that it is just short of cruel to seek biblical counseling, listen, knowing that no matter what truth the counselor gives you, you're not going to receive it. You won't believe it. They can give you a thousand verses. And no matter what, you are determined to continue wandering in your emotional and mental desert. It is just short of cruel to meet with them time after time after time after time Asking them to, once again, would you repackage for me what you have packaged for me the hundred times before this visit? And for the hundred and first time, I will do with it with what I did with the first hundred times. That, my friends 
is an insult to God's time. It's an insult to the counselor who has carved out precious time from their family and their life to give you truth that you have determined you're not going to receive. And then the counselor in that often gets blamed. Oh, they didn't know what they were doing, or they really couldn't help me. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) I was meeting with someone once. Someone referred them to me, and I sat down with them, and this person says, I just want you to know, I've gone to X amount of counselors, and I've sat down with many pastors, and no one has been able to help me. I said, well, I want to make sure you understand what it is that I do and what it is that I don't do. I actually don't fix people. I can't do that. (laughs) I can't heal anyone. I can't cure anyone. That's not what I do. So I'm here to speak with you, to talk with you, to listen, and together we will see what God's Word has to say to you about that. And then from there, you get to decide what you're going to do with that. but I can't fix you. I can't. Now, I wanted to lay that groundwork to help us identify with the gravity (laughs) of what we walk ourselves into in verse 10 and 11. Quoting from Psalm 34, 12 through 16, Peter said in verse 10, for he that will love life and see good days, Anybody up for that? I am. I'll take that all day long. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Uh, Brother Peter, <laughs> not sure you, if you have, uh, if you watch the news or not, if you have the news in your cable package, but Uh, Things aren't going so hot right here in the Roman Empire. Uh, I'm not sure if you are aware, brother, but uh, they're sewing us up in animal skins and they're burning us alive. I'm not sure if you you got that. So this whole thing about loving life and seeing good days, uh, I think you may have wanted to hold off on that one. But he didn't. What was interesting was, despite the intense persecution against Christians at this time, the fervor and the spirit of Christianity didn't diminish at all. It actually increased. Uh, We loathe hard times, don't we? God uses them. (laughs) He does. Let me ask you a question, rhetorically. Are you loving life today? And are you seeing good days? Is that descriptive of your reality in life right now? Are you loving life and are you seeing good days? Well, that depends on where we landed coming out of verses 8 and 9, doesn't it? Go back there real quick. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. 
So the time that we spent there, we looked at the portraits of maturity and immaturity, right? That's what we saw there. And then from there, it's simple and so very clear, depending on where you landed there. Are you, was that a portrait of you as someone being spiritually mature, or was it a portrait of you as someone being spiritually immature? Here's the reality. If you're spiritually mature, then guess what? You are loving life, and you are seeing good days. But if you're spiritually immature, life is only uphill. And not fun. As a matter of fact, it's probably miserable. Here's how we know that to be true. Look at verse 10 again. It begins with the word for. So it's connected to what we just saw in verses 8 and 9. So on the grounds of what we see there. He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So let me ask, who is going to refrain their tongue from evil and their lips that they speak no guile? The spiritually mature or the spiritually immature? (laughs) It'll be the spiritually mature, for sure. Now, we will refer to loving life and seeing good days as the good life. Which I, I, I listen, I want that. <laughs> I want the good life. Tony was asking me, what are you, you going to talk about? I said, we're going to talk about the good life. He goes, that sounds good. I'm like, yeah, I know. It sounds really good. I want it. Do you want the good life? Amen? All right, well, let's get after it. Uh, before we build on that, though, let me emphatically say this, and I do mean emphatically. With everything in me, because I understand life, and I understand many of us, we've lived a long time, and we've had struggles and issues, and, and this issue of mental health, it's a, it's a thing, I get that. And, and you're struggling with depression, or, or whatever it might be. <laughs> Listen, the ultimate cure for emotional and mental illness Mental illness is spiritual maturity. That's the ultimate cure. The reason that people wander and wallow in the same stuff day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year is because they are not growing up spiritually. Because when you grow spiritually, guess what? You grow out of things. Many of us have children, right? When our children are growing physically, what begins to happen? You're buying shoes every other month, right? Because they're, they're, they're bursting out of, they're growing out of things. The pants that, that once fit perfectly two months later now, like they're up to their ankles. What's happening? They're growing out of things. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? When I was a child, I I, I thought as a child, I I spake as a child, but when I became a man, what did I put away? Childish things. I I put that away. I I grew out of that. I I grew away from that. I've gone beyond that. 
I'm not dealing with the same stuff I was dealing with last year or five years ago. Paul says, I've grown up. So if you're struggling, you're saying, I just, I'm always down, I'm always depressed, and I'm like, okay, I tell you what, listen, listen, with everything enemies say, God, with your help, for your glory, and it would please you, God, for me to grow out of this and experience the good life. God, no more excuses. No more excuses. If it kills me, God, I'm going to set a time and every day I am going to get up and I'm going to position myself at your feet and and, and I'm going to listen to what you say to me and I'm going to exercise my faith and I'm going to take you at that. And I'm going to take that verse or I'm going to take those verses. You know what, God? I'm not going to let my alarm clock win anymore. I'm not going to let my bed lord over me. I am not going to make CNN or Fox News preeminent in the morning. Or grab from my phone to see what's happened on Facebook between when I went to bed and now? No. You know, I got kids, and I know that's tough, so you know what? Uh, I'm going to go to bed by 9. So I can get up at 5. I tell you what, you do that for just a month. You'll feel amazing. <laughs> You'll feel unbelievable. It, 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 at the end of the day, <laughs> everybody is choices. When you choose to sleep in and ignore this day in and day out, and then wonder why you feel so miserable, you're not a victim. Don't kid yourself. You are not a victim. God says, hey, I've set the table for you. I've set it for you. So I have deviated mightily. But I think maybe it was ordered. How about that? Seriously, guys, I just, Jesus is what? Can you fill in this blank for me? He is a wonderful what? A little louder. Savior, counselor. And here's the thing. Like, he's open 24-7. And he can meet you anywhere. Your bedroom, your kitchen table, your patio, your front porch. And oh my goodness, the counsel is through the roof. It's crazy. Do you understand? Did you know I'm in biblical counseling? I'm serious. I am in biblical counseling. Every morning when I get up and I I sit, son, you you see that? We we, got to get that right. Your attitude over here, I'm not pleased with that. Oh, okay. 
You, you, you've been wondering why you're struggling with this area over here? Let, let, let me. Oh. Man, wow, yeah, it's right there. I, I, I don't have to blow Sam's phone up or, or, or run into his office five times a week. Oh, Sam, I need you. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Uh, let's see how I recover. Because I got a ways to go here. But do you, are, can I get an amen? Would you agree with this? It's spiritual maturity. That's the cure. Spiritual maturity, it has a catapulting effect. My son is in track and field, and if you ever go to a track and field event, there's, there's the catapult, right? They've got this long stick. What do you call it? Pole vault. Pole vault. Wow, that's pretty bad. I should have known that. <laughs> they got a pole vault. And what does that pole vault do? It propels them over. That's what happens when you grow spiritually. It it propels you over these bars in your life. So as we continue, we're going to see five basic conditions. There's probably more for the good life. Verse 10, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Would you notice, just in this chapter alone, up to this point so far, would you notice the attention that is being given to speech? How about verse 1, the conversation of the wives, that's speech and behavior. Verse 4, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling speech him Lord. Verse 8, or railing for railing, that's slander. Verse 8, but contrarywise, blessing, which means to speak well of. And then... Here it is. We get to verse 10. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. How much attention is being given to speech here? Are you seeing now how this is one of the conditions for the good life? The first one we see is stop worthless speech. (laughs) If you are going to live the good life, Stop worthless speech. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. That word evil means worthless. Stop. Worthless speech is speech that grieves God and tears down others. You have to put a stop to that. Again, verse 8, but contrarywise, blessing to speak well of. Even toward an evil and diabolical government, which was the context here historically. Let me give you a verse that the spiritually mature live by. Right? If you identify someone who is spiritually mature, and you go, you know what? That person right there is an example of who I ought to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this will be a reality in their life, Philippians 2:14. Do some things without murmurings and disputings. Is that what it says? What does it say? All things. Well, the government, are you seeing what they're doing? Can you believe it? I can't believe it. And we begin to rail and rant and rail and rant and rail and rant. Again, the context, 
they were sewing believers with animal skins and burning them alive. Spiritually immature Christians do not murmur and dispute. That word murmurings, it means grumbling. And here's what's interesting. By definition, grumbling, listen, is murmuring through discontent. That's very interesting. Listen, people who murmur do so not because everybody around them is inept. People murmur because they have not learned to be content. That's why they murmur. They've not learned to be content. Disputings, that's debating or arguing. Murmuring and disputings are worthless, listen, because they do not glorify God, nor do they edify people. That's why it's worthless. Nothing comes out of it. Let him refrain his lips, his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Here's the second condition. Stop wicked speech. This is the third time Peter has mentioned the word guile. You know what guile is, very simply? Guile is devilish speech. That's what it is. It was also translated as deceit twice, subtlety twice, craft once. It's devilish. At its core, listen, guile is designed to trick and deceive. That's what it is. Oh, Christians would never do that. You're exaggerating. I wish I was. I wish I was. I've been not doing this for five minutes, and I've seen guile at its finest. You know what believers have done and what they do sometimes? Hypothetically speaking, and this is going to be very hypothetical in the highest. This is Mama Mary, very godly, dear, sweet woman of God. I mean, she refreshes my heart every time she's here. She's just a godly woman, full of kindness and wisdom. I just thank God for her. I do. But she's having a bad day. And she, she, she and I get into a, a spat or something like that. And so I want to tell Mark about it. But to make sure that Mark knows that I was a victim in this, I'm going to be very selective about what data I give to Mark about what happened. So everything that made her look awful and made me look to be the victim, he's going to get all that. But I will conveniently and specifically avoid and leave out certain details that paint me in a bad light. You know what that is? That's guile. What have I done? I've tricked him. Does he have an accurate picture of what happened? Absolutely not. I've deceived him. Brothers and sisters, (laughs) you know how many times that has happened? One of the hardest things for any pastor church to do is to enforce, exercise church discipline. And whenever we've had to do that, I just sit back and I, and I just go, wow, look at the guile. 
Because the person who chose to live a life of sin, unwilling to repent and get right with God, somehow, when the dust clears, they're a victim. They don't tell people how many times we sat with them and warned and begged and pleaded to let's, let's turn around and go the other way. They don't tell them about that meeting where Sam sat in front of them with tears running down his eyes because his heart is shattered that it's come to this. No, they, they don't share those details. No, what they do is they go out and they say, Man, you won't believe how they treated me. I told one guy this. I said, you know what? You may or may not have a case on that, but let me just say this. Had you lived your life the right way, it never would have come to this. It never would have come to this. That's guile. Regarding Peter's audience, it would have been tempting to fabricate or embellish information about a wicked government. If you are miserable in life, listen to me very carefully. I guarantee it. A lot of it has to do with your mouth. Your speech. If you're not living a good life, I can guarantee it on the word of God. Out of this is coming worthless and even wicked speech. And it's corrupting you. You know what the Bible calls some communication? What is it? Corrupt. So if the communication is corrupt, where is it coming from? Out of the abundance of the what? What speaks? So if the communication is corrupt, then you will cut yourself off from the good life if this is poisonous, James chapter 3. Please, I beg you to hear me. If we are to live the good life, we must bridle our tongue Just because I'm feeling something or thinking something doesn't mean I have to say it. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You got to bridle your tongue. Americans, I used to think it was just New Yorkers, having lived there for a number of years. It's not. New Yorkers are, they lead the way. I will definitely give you that. New Yorkers are the most deeply opinionated people. They have an opinion about everything. Forget about it. They do. I mean, it's just, you know, everything's a conspiracy. Everything's a, you know, look at this. I can't believe this. You know, it's just, okay, I get it. I get it. But it's everybody. Everybody's opinionated. You got to bridle this, okay? So the first two conditions are related to our words, the rest are actions. Look at verse 11. Let him eschew evil and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. So here's the third condition 
separate from worthlessness. Let him eschew evil. That's too deep to deviate from. So we're not only to stop worthless speech, but we're to deviate or separate from worthlessness as a behavior. What do you need to separate from? I want to ask you that question. What behavior, what practice in your life do you need to deviate from, separate from? Look at Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Listen, we all have the best intentions. But regardless of the best intentions, the flesh is only weak. It's only weak. And it constantly summons us to the darkness, doesn't it? It does. It, 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 it summons you to that website that you said uh, you were never going back to. It, it summons you to that bottle that you keep turning to because you are feeling a little lonely. Right? It, it, it summons you to the darkness, doesn't it? It summons you to address this, this, this thing in you that is, 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 is lacking or unfulfilled or whatever it might be. And it says, I want you to keep coming back. I want you to keep coming back. I want you to keep coming back. And the reason that you keep going back is because you're not growing spiritually. Because if you're not growing spiritually, guess what? You can't grow out of that can't. Who do you need to separate from? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, uh, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That word communications, it means companionship. Let me ask you, who is that person? Who are those people? Listen very carefully. Where every time you are with them, the Holy Spirit lets you know that God is grieving. Because the conversation is worthless or wicked. The actions are worthless or wicked. This person, these people, whenever you talk to them, it's not about this. You're not provoking one another to love and to good works. It's gossip. Who is that person? Who are those people? If you are going to love life and see good days, you must separate from worthlessness. I learned a long time ago, there are always going to be two people, two kinds of people in and around my life. People who want my time and people who need it. And I have to always know who they are. Because those who just want it, most likely they're going to waste it. Those who need it, well, there's something in it for the glory of God there. <laughs> Maybe some of you need to rethink that. All right, the fourth condition, seek good works. Now, no way does this undermine salvation by grace through faith. We have been ordained, though, to walk in good works, Ephesians 2.10. So let me ask you a question. 
whenever you are in a group like this, or maybe even at home, do you seek to be blessed or to be a blessing? How are you outfitted like that? For those who are experiencing the good life, let me give you another anchor verse of theirs, Galatians 6.10, and oh my goodness, do they dance to the beat of this drum. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That is the verse of those who are seeking to do good. Listen, those who are living the good life are very opportunistic. They're very opportunistic. They're constantly seeking opportunities, listen, to be a blessing, to do good, to unbelievers, but especially believers. The verse says, Galatians 6.10. There are, I mean, they're always, whenever they're in a group, this, this is, they're always scoping, they're always spying out, how can I do good? How can I be a blessing? How can I minister? How can I serve? How can I help? They don't walk in expecting anything except to serve. That's what they look for. Let me tell you, a constant that I continue to observe in those who are cut off from the good life. They are fixated on themselves. If you're not loving life and seeing good days, I promise you it is because you are self-absorbed. You are intoxicated with you. Every conversation, every situation is about you. It is. You don't actually think, when you see someone, you don't actually think to say, hey, how's your week going? What's, what's, what's happening in your life? How, man, listen, let, let, me, let me follow up. We, we talked two weeks ago, and you were, you were telling me about this. How's that going? Instead, they get you, and it's like, listen, I remember one time, and it, listen, I wasn't even in this state, so nobody in this room, all right, or even in this church, wasn't even in this state. But I remember one time I was sitting with an individual, and it was at a gathering, and I'm not kidding you, it was about an hour. And after about 15 minutes, I actually stopped listening. I just stopped listening. So for 60 minutes, I just, I, 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 I couldn't even say anything. It was just, it's like, do you wonder why people, they see you, they kind of just do a quick. <laughs> you wear them out. Listen, let me just tell you, as a rule, you want to be a blessing, not a burden. Well, how do you become a blessing? Get your mind off of you. <laughs> That's the good life. I'm not being, 
not trying to be nasty. I'm, I'm really trying. I, I want you and me. I want to have the good life, okay? Let me ask you this. What would the rest of this day, what would next week, what would the rest of the month, how about the rest of the year, what would that look like for you if you fixed your heart and mind on only being a blessing in your home, in your church, in your place of work, in your neighborhood, wherever you go? You're just looking for an opportunity to do good to someone else. I think if you took that approach, I don't think, I know, home would be so much more sweeter. It would. Relationships would be, all of a sudden you're like, why do I feel like I'm getting along with everybody? Because you're not being selfish. Okay? Okay, finally, I'm almost done. Mark, how am I doing on time? I'm sure I'm over. Okay, okay. I had a little deviation this morning. So, okay. How about this? Shun from warring. Shun from warring. He says, let him seek peace. Okay, everybody, listen. Peter did not counsel Christians who, will be, who were being oppressed and persecuted by a wicked and diabolical government. He did not counsel them to seek war. Did he? What did he say? Seek what? Peace. Listen, I implore you, Rightness is not a license to murmur and dispute. It's not. Somewhere we have missed that. Somewhere we have, we have convinced ourselves somehow that if I'm right, then that gives me the license now to seek war. Oh, no. I'm afraid that some, over time, we just become addicted to conflict and fighting. Here's how you know if you are. Are you constantly in conflict with others? (laughs) Do you find that every time you turn around, you're embattled somehow? That you're fighting with someone, whether it be your spouse or your coworkers or people at church or whatever it might be, wherever you are, There's tension. If that's your story, then you are addicted to conflict. And that's very unhealthy. But here's what it also means. Someone who's constantly at war, guess what they're not experiencing? The good life. (laughs) You can't. Listen, I've been around long enough now to come across people who somehow believe that they are not doing something right unless they are fighting with someone. And it's like a badge of honor. And they say, well, the Bible says if you're living godly in Christ, well, let's talk about the godly part. (laughs) 
Because what you're doing is not godly. Because what you're doing, you're not seeking peace. So they are always, listen, wrestling against flesh and blood. You see that? That's a big difference. But for those who are enjoying the good life, here's what they do. You ready? Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for war. Schism. Division. Contention. Right? No. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. That's the good life. Follow after captures the ending of verse 11 and ensue it. So and to ensue means to follow or pursue. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I, I, one of the things that I love about being home Harmony, peace. The home is not filled. It's not filled with tension and 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 edginess. And everybody's just we got to tap, you know, tap dance and and just oh, I don't want to go there. It's an eggshell here. It's, it's home. There's no war. I'll say this as I'm wrapping up. As I'm getting older, you know what I'm finding? The list of things that I am truly willing to fight over is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You know one of the reasons why our home is filled with peace and harmony and enjoyment? is because that list, compared to almost 20 years ago, that list was about like this of the things that I was willing to fight over. It was about that long. Uh, Almost 20 years into this thing. (laughs) That's not even worth five seconds. Sure, no problem. Let's just put it right there, whatever that thing is. Thinking about moving this or that here and there. I think it goes over there, but you, no problem. Let's just do that. Who cares? And I'm finding that life with peace is far more enjoyable than life with war. Trust me, you got to know where the lines are. I know where the lines are. I know when it's time to fight. But it's so rare. How about you? Lord, thank you for your word today. I do pray that we will receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.